so many miracles. Joel Lissette. All right, welcome back to the Goldfish Podcast. That'll be that'll be our start, Richard. Miracles. All right. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode sixteen. The crew is back. We have Seth back. We, we well, missed you, Seth. I'm back, guys. I missed you too. Yeah, but uh, Jake filled in pretty well for uh, for Seth. Um, it was a really good cast last time. So that limited stuff was really awesome. So we'll give you. A little time to reflect on that, Seth, before we get into everything that we want to talk about. But um, So the crew's back. What's up, Richard? What's up, Seth? What's hey. up, guys? Uh, so we got a lot on our plate pretty much every single week, right? So there's a lot to talk about. And before we get into that, you can always follow us at mtggoldfish. Or on Twitter, uh, at Saffron Olive, and at Bolt. So um, what did you think of the uh, limited cast last week, uh, Seth? I know you weren't there, but we'll give you a little time to reflect on it. Um, It's pretty sweet. Like, I love those guys. Like, Raleigh and Jake, they really know what they're talking about. So I think it's I think it's really awesome that we've started doing this on a set-by-set basis, really, and having them come in. Raleigh has great numbers. Jake has great insight. And I, I feel like I wasn't missed at all, really. Like, you guys did a great job without me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good. I mean, no, we, it was, it was a, uh, yeah, it was very informative and I, I agree. I think it's really good to have them on, uh, on a set by set basis, uh, really for all the listeners and a lot of the people that grind draft events that those numbers are so invaluable and Jake has really good insight on all that stuff too. So yeah, it was really successful. Richard, we got to take a seat back a little bit on the last cast, but that's okay. But yeah, we're good. To, it's good to have you back, Seth. We did miss you. Well, uh, it's good to be back. I love doing the podcast, so I'm happy to be back this week. Yeah. So on our plate, we're going to talk about um, SCG Cleveland. So we have the Legacy IQ, the Standard IQ, the Modern IQ. So we'll touch on a little bit of uh, all three of events. We have a big announcement. Now, just a huge disclaimer for all the listeners. This is unconfirmed, but um, we'll talk about it anyway because uh, there is one confirmed uh and that's modern masters 2015 reprints there's a lot of cards going up on the uh, spoiler sites like mythic spoiler we're going to talk about uh these unconfirmed again cards that are going up there but the one confirmed card is vendillion click so we're gonna just dive into the modern masters 2015 stuff uh right off the bat and then we'll get into the trending and the star city games so Seth, on the site you posted an article, so why don't you just start us off with that? All right, so posted an article, uh, came up last night about, basically about reprints and set prices and a whole bunch of stuff, but um, basically, (laughs) Wizards is going to reprint everything. If you look back to Shards of Alara, almost uh, 75% of Shards of Alara, of the cards worth $5 or more, have already been reprinted. That continues through the whole block at over 50%. Like, this is what we have to look forward to in Modern, is anything of value is going to be reprinted. And part of this anything is Vendillion Click for the second time in Modern Masters. Yep, so we do have, for sure, confirmed Vendillion Click. What do you think of the announcement, uh, Richard? I mean, it's expected. Vendillion Click is sitting at, I think, like $70 right now. So... What I was disappointed in was the actual art. It, it kind of just looks like the original art, like, 
you know, it's the same kind of pose and composition. So at first glance, like, is that the original Vendillion Click? Like, no. So I, I would have liked, like, some more distinct art to kind of separate the cards. But, I mean, it's a $70 card, so, yeah, people will be happy that its price will be dropping. Yeah, they had the whole, like, selfie stick uh, <laughs> look going on there. I don't even know what that, like, poll is. I, I think... It's the selfie stick, man. Yeah, keeping up with the times, you know. You yeah. Make sure this is branded as th- 2015 selfie yeah. stick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we have the Thalia one, too. It's, like, super up close, so we just got selfie. Uh, Ojutai's command, Vendillion click. We're, we're, we're taking a step into 2015. <laughs> <laughs> Your article was, was very thorough, was very good. Everyone should go read it. Uh, it's, it's a great piece of literature out there to get yourselves ready for not just modern masters, but for sets to come, because I think what people don't realize is if something is omitted, and this actually happened the last modern masters uh, from the information that I gathered as well, uh, you can expect it to show up. Like if it's omitted from modern masters, you can expect it to show up in as soon as the very next set or the very next block. And we saw that with thought sees. So, um, is that some of the conclusions that you came to as well, uh, Seth? Yeah, I mean, Wizards is really serious about reprinting modern cards. Like, it's great for them because they're in high demand and everyone buys the sets that they're in. And it's great for the players because it drops down the barrier to entry into the format. So, yeah, that's what I found, too. Like, um, even this fall, like, we have Battle for Zendikar. It's almost guaranteed that the Fetchlands are going to be coming back. Like, they won't be in Modern Masters, but it's 99% that we'll see them again. So just because it's not in Master, Modern Masters 2015 doesn't mean that it's safe. It just means it's safe until the next set or the set after that. It, they're still going to get printed. Yeah, so these Modern Masters sets, there's like a multifaceted uh, event going on. So we have the cards in the set, we have the cards not being reprinted, and we have the cards that get shifted around in the rarities. Um, so we don't have the whole set, but what we do know, and this is, again, unconfirmed, but I'm going to list the cards that are, quote-unquote, in there for now. So we got Kozilek Ulamog, All is Dust, Tezzeret the Seeker, Dark Confidant, again, uh, Splinter Twin is in there, but upgraded to a Mythic, um, Iona as Mythic, Vendillion Click we got uh, confirmed as a Mythic, Goblin Guide, Noble Hierarch, and then all the commands. Fulminator Mage, Mox Opal. So Fulminator Mage, assumed to be a rare, Mox Opal stays at Mythic. Uh, and Noble Hierarch and Goblin Guide, assumed to be rare. So again, those are the cards that were unconfirmed, but, um, you know, everyone's kind of talking about it. So why don't you kind of just do, like, an initial reaction for the both of you? So we'll start with you, Seth. Uh, what kind of, like, implications... Um, a lot of people kind of guessed this at first, but it's good to kind of see it on paper. So what are your thoughts? Well, my first thought was that's a lot of high-value cards. Like, I think the average Mythic price from that list is somewhere around, like, $50 at the moment, which is insanely valuable. Like, that's off the charts. Mythics alone are going to add $150, $160 to the box EV. Um, as far as the individual cards... They're about what everyone expected. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a little surprised there's so many colorless mythics. We're up to six colorless mythics, which is just a ton. But I think overall it's a good and expensive list. And if you're going to pay $10 a pack, you want to have a chance of opening some value. Yeah. Richard? 
Yeah, like like I said to you guys earlier, when I first saw the list, it was like, nah, you know, I, it wasn't too exciting. It was what we all expected, but like, what was I expecting, right? Like, <laughs> you know, it's all <laughs> yeah. the expensive cards jammed together, so there's no real theme or like nothing going on here. Uh, what did surprise me was Bob showing up again. I mean, he is, I think, a $70 card right now, but, you know, a, a second reprinted Modern Masters as well um, kind of just throws me off. Like, Goyf is just insanely expensive, but do we need another Bob? Like, why don't they just put in a supplemental product or something? Does this mean, you know, Dark Confidant, Tarmogoyf, Noble Hierarch will be in every Modern Masters from now until forever? So the inclusion of Bob, again, was a little weird for me. Yeah, it certainly was a little weird, especially because, like, well, in Legacy it's a different story, but in Modern, uh, Dark Confidant's playability kind of has been tanking. So it assumed that it was assumed that maybe the price was going to just start going down gradually on its own. I guess the reprint is kind of like a super like steroid injection into that downward trend. But yeah, it was a little awkward seeing Dark Confidant back. Um, just a few reactions. I mean, when I looked at this list, like everyone can say like, oh, we've been kind of thinking about this for months and months. But like, honestly, what did you expect to be in there? I mean, in this range of uh, eighth edition to this scars block. I mean, what did everyone really expect to be in there? They're charging double the MSRP of a pack than before. So yeah, this looks pretty good to me. I mean, this this seems pretty close to what is going to be in there. And at ten dollars a pack, I don't want to be pulling a freaking Kamigawa dragon as my mythic. So I'm totally okay with pulling an All Is Dust. Even a Splinter Twin at mythic is fine with me. Um, a lot of people were skeptical because, oh, like, how are they printing all of these like cards at Mythic? Like, what, what's going to be left for dra- or the rares? And I mean, the cryptic, the cryptic command, noble hierarch, goblin guide. I mean, like, are those not good rares? I mean, fulminator mage. I mean, what about the cards that still haven't even showed up? Bitter blossom, daybreak coronet. So there's still a ton of stuff that could be in this set, and I think Wizards is doing right, uh, doing it right. I mean, when people say that to me, it's kind of feeling like they don't have faith in Wizards to be putting good stuff into a set like they're incompetent or something like that. I don't know. What are your thoughts, uh, Seth? Well, I think Wizards is very good at making sets. Like, they've proved that time and time again over the last few years that they can make sets that are not only uh, fun to play in Constructed, but are awesome to play in Limited. They've really been on a heater since back to Innistrad, really, with making good Limited and Constructed sets, with maybe the exception of Theros. So... Um, I have a lot of faith in Wizards. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys, though, what do you think about Splinter Twin? Can you think of another red card that would be a better Mythic? Like, red Mythics, like, what do you even, what, what do you even make Mythic in the color red in this set? I mean, that's why I was pretty much fine with Splinter Twin. Yeah, I mean, it's almost by default, right? Like, if you look back through those sets, like, I came across this when I was looking at Tempest, the remastered set for Magic Online, and thought right. the red mythics were just horrible. But actually, red just doesn't have a lot of mythic-feeling cards, like through the whole history of Magic. I mean, Inferno Titan. Inferno Titan is mythic. That is, yeah. That feels mythic. I mean, they could. They, there, there are a couple candidates. Um, you know, if they wanted to go the re-inclusion thing, they could always throw back in, like, Kiki-Jiki. Um, cause that was in the first set and they obviously have some returners like Vendillion Quick and Dark Confidant, but, um, do we, 
I mean, I, I'm fine with Splinter Twin, but yeah, you make a great point. Like, there's not a lot of red cards that could really, like, warrant being Mythic. I mean, you have two of them right there, back-to-back, Splinter Twin and Goblin Guide. I mean, is those are the no most... Is there dragon or anything? Like, there's no, gotta be I mean, some... th- well, Thunder Maw missed it, so, I mean, Ryusei? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Proper Shivan Dragon boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, you make a great point, Seth. I'm I'm okay with Splinter Twin at Mythic, especially in like a limited environment. You know, if there's going to be like a Deceiver Exarch and Pestermite like floating around, like I think Splinter Twin at Mythic kind of. Well, uh, I think you're right. That's why it's Mythic. I mean, in the first Modern Masters, you had Kiki. Uh, Kiki Jiki at Mythic, and then Pestermite at Common. So I would expect this set to have Splinter Twin at Mythic, and then Deceiver Exarch at Common, and it keeps the limited environment, which was much loved by everyone, the same as far as the combo. Yeah, I mean, it, it just it makes sense in a limited standpoint. I mean, I don't know. I, a lot of people are skeptic on on these unconfirmed cards, and until they're confirmed, I mean, I guess you should be kind of skeptical in a little uh, in some sense, but. I mean, this is pretty close to what I would think would be in there at $10 a pack. I mean, you should be opening these cards. And with the large print run, I mean, we're up to, what, 5,300 pre-registered people in uh, the GP in Vegas? Yep. That's, what start, uh, that's what Channel Fireball is uh, uh, putting out there as numbers. I mean, these cards desperately need reprinting, and in order for people to play modern, why not have these cards in there? I mean, you should be opening packs at $10 and getting some sort of value out of this definitely so i have a question for seth i know you played a lot of the original modern masters <clears throat> did it play like a like a cube because it, what, what i'm seeing here are like hyper efficient cards right like all of these cards are really good and so is the set just all like that or is it more you know like limited where like you get watered down cards and you know it, there's a different feeling than playing like just weird modern or something like that it's it's pretty close to cube. Like it's it, the original set was pretty close. The main difference was there was a lot of very defined archetypes. Like there was maybe ten decks which you could really wanted to be in one of these ten decks. But once you were in one of those decks, they were all very high powered. Not quite as high powered as cube, but pretty close. Okay, because I think that's my initial reaction to these cards. Like there aren't any quote unquote fun cards. These are just all like very efficient tournament beaters so like you know where, where's the fun stuff right so the, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out the other thing to remember too is this is basically just some mythics so they don't have that much of an impact on limited because they come up so infrequently yeah yeah um getting back to your article a little bit Seth. so i think we should take a good chunk of time talking about kind of the financial implications of Modern Masters 2015. I know there's been a lot of literature out there. You wrote a very great article. Uh, other people are talking about it, but I wanted to kind of take this time on the cast so people can really just kind of listen uh, to our, our all three of us talk about this. So um, again, you mentioned in your article uh, cards in Modern are going to be reprinted. So that's that's just kind of a fact. When you go and look back through the the very great list that you put out of each set, you can kind of see this happening, even if it's not a Modern Masters 25th, well, in a Modern Masters set, rather. So what do you think really happens this time around? Um, we're starting to get some numbers, uh, allocations of boxes, 
boxes are going actually pretty readily available at sort of this 240 range, which is pretty much MSRP. Uh, what really goes on uh, with some of these numbers, and what does this do for the singles uh, reprinted in this set? Well, let's talk about the supply for a, for a minute. Like, just focusing on the 3GP weekend, there's a very realistic chance that 15,000 people play Modern Masters 2015 Sealed that weekend. That means that in just those main events, 95,000 packs are going to be opened. Like, that's a huge amount of supply, and that's not even including all the people buying cases and boxes and opening at their local gaming store. So that's a lot of cards coming into the supply. That equals out to being almost 900 Tarmogoyfs in each other mythic just from the GP alone. Yeah, and again, stressing, just from the GPs. And this is going to be like, a, a, you know, this is just honestly that first kind of wave. We don't even know if there's more waves or is this kind of unprecedented when it comes to the first Modern Masters? Is this uh, a, a drastically higher supply of this set? The supply is higher. I don't know if I'd call it drastically higher based on the numbers I've seen. Um, but yes, stores are going to get more boxes than they did the first time around. So not even including the GP weekend, supply is going to be higher just from those natural factors of people buying boxes from their local gaming stores and drafting and so on. So Richard, are you going to be participating in, in any of these GPs? What, what do you feel, is this healthy for the format to be doing this? I know you don't play modern as much, but yeah, is uh, this what Wizards needs to be doing on this kind of scale? So I'll be at GP Vegas, just, I don't know. So everyone knows, right? Richard from the MTG Goldfish podcast on the site will be at GP Vegas. Uh, I'll be sporting my Goldfish t-shirt so you can find me. But, um, you know, whether this is healthy or not, I don't know, right? You know, there's a lot of cards being opened. Does anyone want them? That's the question, right? Like, you know, if you open a Goyf, are you going to slap together a modern deck with Goyfs and Lilianas, right? Uh, You know, it's, it's a little different because... You know, one Goyf, say it's $100, good job. You need three more Goyfs to finish your playset, right? Plus whatever other cards you're going to need. So the question is, will will Modern Masters and the draft environment and everything spur people to play Modern, right? And I, I don't know if that's the case. We could suffer from oversupply. Maybe everyone opens these expensive cards, but they all just tank in value and no one wants them. So we'll have to see what players actually want. Um, as an existing player, it's it's a bit concerning, you know, this aggressive reprinting might tank the value of my deck, you know, what, what does it mean for me? I thought I had this kind of quote-unquote eternal format where I could build a deck and keep it forever, but, you know, I don't want to spend $1,000 on my deck and have it be worth $100 next year, right? So it's great for new players, uh, sort of okay for existing players because you balance your deck going down in price with new players to play with. But the the question is, you know, will there be more demand or not enough demand for all of these uh, cards being opened? Yeah, Richard, you make a great point. And actually, this is something that me and Seth talked about, um, you know, out, out, off the cast as well. I mean, you're you're right in the sense that people are opening up singles. You know, does that necessarily translate to, you know, people going and then constructing modern decks? I mean, Seth, I mean, we talked about some 15-year-old MTG <laughs> MTG Finance, where at the local gaming store, a, a newer player or a younger player opening up a Tarmogoyf and then 
you know, does he really want to go play modern or does he want to trade into the store and go buy like all the dragon lords or something like that? That's what we, we, we kind of cracked finance. <laughs> we cracked MTG finance, Seth. I think so. Yeah. So if you're all out there and you want Tarmag, open up a Tarmogoyf, just go trade it in for all the dragon lords. <laughs> Seems like, no, but really that, that is something that can happen. I mean, the, the the kind of the mantra that I keep seeing uh, around is like, oh, give a guy a goif and he's going to want three more. I mean, what about like the kid that just opens up and doesn't really care about Tarmogoyf, but he knows it's $100, yeah, he, so he can go build a, a standard deck or basically for the cost of one Tarmogoyf. Yeah, think of how many allies you can get for one goif. Oh, that's a lot of allies. Yeah. <laughs> think about how many green-white prowess decks you can build <laughs> with one Tarmogoyf. Uh, quite a few. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think it's a legitimate the, – the player base has expanded since the, the first Modern Masters by quite a good margin. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, so if you want to Google that while we're, while we're doing this, uh, Seth, that's on you. So, but the player base has increased. The people that are buying boxes and you know, going to these drafts are not necessarily people that, are, that want to play Modern, but maybe just people that like to play Limited or maybe just people that – Hey, what the hell? I'll just draft. Why not? And um, so those those copies that are quote unquote floating around out there of people that wa- are willing to now acquire more copies of the card is not necessarily true. I mean, they could just trade it into the store or trade it to someone else and go build an EDH deck or something like that. Yeah, it definitely gives you a lot of options. I mean, and some people will open a goyf and put together modern, but not everyone's going to do that by any means. Yeah. So, again, back to your article, and you also wrote another one uh, prior to this, um, and I think they tie in well uh, together. You were kind of analyzing a, a, a certain amount of cards and then, you know, what it would actually do if it was reprinted in the set, and you kind of set up this formula. Is that something that you're doing for every card that's going to be reprinted in the set, Seth? Well, I mean, not really. What I ended up discovering as I was doing this is basically, like, as a, as a rule of thumb, if you think there's, like, a greater than 50% chance that a card's going to get reprinted, um, especially as a rare or an uncommon, you're almost always better off just selling that card and then saving your money and buying that card again over the summer a few months after Modern Masters has been out. Like, that's, that's the basic rule of thumb. You can run through the formula for every single card, it would be a lot of work and probably not that much fun. But if you think there's a good chance it's going to get reprinted, sell it now, buy it back later if you want to do the best thing for your pocketbook. Yeah. Uh, I think the uh, scenario we ended up – so let's just say, for instance, I mean, and the, the article just for the listeners was Risk Management Modern Masters 2015, another great article, Seth. You highlighted Spellskite, right? Right. And so you laid out all the percentages and what the total loss could be, you know, um, a post-reprinting price and what it is now. So let's just say nothing happens to Spellskite. It's reprinted and its price doesn't move at all, right? So basically the only risk you're taking is basically paying what you spent or what you sold the, the price that you sold it for, the repurchase and shipping. So basically your risk is shipping. Right, transaction cost. You pay a transaction cost, basically. And by doing this, what you're really doing is giving yourself a form of, like, insurance for your collection. Like, by 
by selling off, even if it doesn't decrease in price, you're paying a buck or two to make sure you don't lose 10 or $15 per copy. Right. So instead of just holding and, and being uh, kind of at the whim of the market, uh, you're paying transaction costs, which could maybe what end up being, let's just throw out an arbitrary number, like $30 uh, in transaction fees instead of like $300 on the amount of money that you would have lost just by holding on to all these copies. Right, yeah. I mean, you're paying a very small amount, 10%, 5% of the card's value, to make sure you don't lose a huge amount, like 50%, 60%. Yeah. So, again, very two great articles by Seth, you know, kind of highlighting Modern Masters 2015. You know, and I found the same kind of uh, findings when I, when I do my uh, writing on the site, um, and, or about the set, rather, um, and... Yeah, I just don't see a real reason to be holding on to cards, especially, you know, Modern Masters is not, 2015 edition is not in, even in the same stratosphere as the first one. It's, it's a totally different scenario, I think, now. Well, another um, thing people forget is back in 2013, Modern was still a relatively new format, and there were probably a lot of people on the fence thinking, oh, should I try out this new format? And then Modern Masters comes along, and everyone said, okay, now's the time. Like, the cards are getting cheaper. I'm going to build a Modern deck. Now Modern has been around four years, five years, and it doesn't have this huge untapped potential of players just waiting for the right time to buy in. If you're going to play Modern, you probably are already playing Modern for the most part. Uh, but, yeah, so actually, that you make a great point. And let me ask you this question, right? So... Let's just given the scenario, people don't think like the mythics and the rares that they're, they're not going to drop so much, right? So if if being reprinted doesn't affect the card's price, then why doesn't the card just keep going up? Why doesn't the price just keep going up? Because it doesn't matter if it gets reprinted; it's just going to keep increasing, even with a reprint. Yeah, I mean, if you look at a card like Tarmogoyf and these expensive cards, there is a cap on what a player will pay. Like, uh, while X number of people would buy Goyf at $100, a smaller number are going to pay 150 and a smaller still are going to pay 200 and sooner or later you're just going to hit the maximum where very few people are going to pay that price, um, regardless of whether it's reprinted or not. Like, there's just a cap on how much people will pay on a piece of cardboard. Yeah. So, yeah, you answer that question very well. I mean... So Tarmogoyf, if it didn't matter, it'd be $500, right? I mean, there there are cards out there that are $500. I mean, they're probably all on the reserve list, but, uh, yeah, you know, like Moat and stuff like that. But no, but they do purchase these cards to play in Legacy, like Lands, um, you know, Tabernacle, Caracas. There there are very expensive cards out there that are not Tarmogoyf. So why doesn't Tarmogoyf just keep going up even though it gets reprinted? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense because what you just said, there's a perceived value from players and what they're willing to spend on a card. And that puts a cap on the card. So that cap I think is going to start decreasing. Uh, Richard made a great point off cast that it is this setting a precedent of them just jamming Tarmogoyf into every single modern master set. So every other year you're getting a Tarmogoyf. Why would someone pay $200 for a Tarmogoyf? Well, that's the thing sooner or later, it's going to be reprinted so much that there's going to be more Tarmogoyfs than there are people that want to buy Tarmogoyfs at any high price, and the price is going to decrease. Like, if it's this Modern Masters, I can't say that for sure, but it might be the next one or the one after that. Like, 
Wizards is going to keep reprinting these cards until they're cheap. So if, if from a player's perspective, that's great. But if you're a financer and looking at speculation, like it's not a place you really want to be putting your money and holding it for the long term. Yeah. All right, so I think we nailed everything we wanted to on these, uh, again, unconfirmed cards and Modern Masters 2015. I'm sure we'll be talking about this again, right, Seth? Definitely. I'm hoping, I think, official uh, spoilers start next week, so we should have a lot more to talk about then. Yeah. Now, again, we're not getting anything new, but uh, (laughs) it's good to see what's actually in the set and what you're getting for your money. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Any closing thoughts, Richard? No, just no more goif. I don't want to talk about goif anymore. Please. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, months. A better goif. <laughs> yeah. Tazigar. <laughs> Tazigar, including <The> bla- mandrills, <laughs> werebear. Yeah, <the> mag <laughs> angler. <laughs> oh, my God. Why play goif when we could just play those cards, Richard, in Legacy? They just got to print a zero-mana card that just dumps, like, ten cards of your library, like, into your graveyard. That's... Yeah. It's like a 4-4 or something like that. (laughs) Um, But, okay, so let's get into the Star City games, uh, uh, Cleveland. So, uh, Richard, we don't get to talk about uh, Legacy that much, so why don't you go through the the IQ for Cleveland? Yeah, it looked like a miserable top eight, and I say that (laughs) because there were three Miracles (laughs) decks in the top eight. So miracles in untimed rounds is not cool. <laughs> um, but other than that, it looks like a pretty standard thing. Omnital, Death and Taxes, Grixis Pyromancer. We had a mud deck show up. And uh, we had a uh, Jeskai Stoneblade deck. So not much has been going on in Legacy. People are just playing their decks. Um, it doesn't look like Dragon's Tarkir has really altered legacy at all we didn't have a true name nemesis we didn't have um you know any really high impactful cards so we'll wait for the next set but you know it's it's what legacy players like right like that's a stable metagame where you can play and learn your deck and like tweak it uh to your local uh scene so seems pretty good to me yeah, it's just fascinating, Richard, that, like, we go through these podcasts and we look at, like, legacy IQs and stuff like this, and it's so drastic, like, sometimes, like, it just the top, like, like you, I guess you keep saying that, like, any deck could do well at any given time in legacy, and that, that seems really refreshing yeah, um, it, for even the naysayers that are saying, like, oh, legacy's dying and all that. It's all about player skill. Um, it's, yeah. it's more so rewarded, like, how well you know your deck. Uh, you know, like if you give me a miracles deck, I will like oh eight, you know, some event <laughs> easily. I, I don't know how to play miracles. Um, it's, I'm not going to do well, right? So a lot of players, you know, see oh, you know, miracles doing well. Let me pick it up, and then they like draw every round, right? Because they can't play fast enough. Um, so what you'll see is like various cities have their own meta games, and there'll be various people in those cities that have their pet decks, and they'll do really well. And that's why week after week you'll see just a different top eight. Um, and you'll see these weird tier two decks take over events because their pilots are really good and they've been playing it for five years, right? So yeah, that's the good thing yeah. about Legacy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's what's interesting to note is uh, we did this a few weeks in a row and like lands was coming up all the time. Now suddenly no lands. Um, and I think you mentioned the biggest problem with lands is fighting those uh, those combo decks. 
So I guess that's why we're seeing Mud and Omnitel show up again, because I guess when Land starts to get too popular, you just start playing combo decks. Yeah, Lands is like the best fair deck, even though it doesn't really seem fair. <laughs> um, it's like turn one chalice or bust, right? Like you need a chalice yeah. on one or you're not going to win against a combo deck. Um, but yeah, that's that's the way it goes, right? You have good matchups and you have bad matchups. So if you if you run hot and have good matchups all day, you stand a pretty good chance at top eighting, right? But if you run bad and have poor matchups, then you're just going to go OX, right? Yeah, absolutely. Legacy is all about player skill. Uh, it's such a diverse format. Um, but Modern's starting to get there, too. So, Seth, why don't you tackle Modern? Well, apparently Bloom Titan can put up a good finish, even without the perfect opening seven every time. Oh. <laughs> that came in second. R- rough. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the Gerard Fabiano special, uh, the, the bug deck, uh, not being played by Fabiano, actually took down first place. This is the... Uh, the weird number, Ashiok, Tarmogoy, Findelian Click, like just the crazy, the crazy deck, one compulsive research. So it's nice to see that that deck, I like that deck a lot, and it's nice to see it can win, and it's not just that Fabiano is amazing at playing those colors. Uh, the rest of the finishes, you got a couple burn decks, you got two Anafenza's Company decks, um, and a bunch of affinity and a storm deck. Like, it's pretty typical, um, except for maybe the top finisher is a little surprising. Yeah, and those Anafenza's company decks were just outside the top eight. What do you think about this? I mean, we're, we're seeing them pop up at a pretty, you know, it's pretty regular now that some of them just miss top eight or maybe one sneaks in there in an IQ. Um, I know you were kind of, a little skeptical of this deck, but what do you think about it? Well, it's proving me wrong. Like, I definitely was skeptical about using a collected company in a combo shell, but the deck keeps showing up week after week. This time it's got two players in the top 16 and one in ninth place. Who knows? I didn't see the actual uh, breakdown, but he might have even missed on breakers for the top eight. So the deck actually seems legit, and if you like playing Birthing Pod-type strategies, this is the natural successor to Birthing Pod. Yeah, absolutely. There was also a very interesting white-green deck uh, piloted by Nicholas Montequila. Oh, my God. Close enough. That. Yeah. Um, Lotus Cobra, Summoning Trap, Nest Invader. Like, what's going on, Seth? Oh, this this deck. I haven't seen this deck in a while. This deck actually floated around Moto like a year or two ago. Um, it's... It's a crazy deck, really. You're trying to get Primeval Titan and Emrakul's out, and the main way you're doing that is through uh, Summoning Trap. But you also have this, like, Lingering Souls uh, and a bunch of random two-drops, like Nest Invader or Knight of Reliquary at three, to go on the aggressive plan. And then the other interesting thing is you have two Moss Wart Bridge, which is this... Uh, it's part of the cycle from uh, Lorwyn. It's a hideaway land. And if you ha- you can play it, you exile, uh, look at your top four cards and exile one of them. And then if you have creatures with a power 10 or greater, all in total, you can pay one and cast that card. So that's another way to get Emrakul into play, which really doesn't come up that often in modern. So it's, it's a really cool deck. Wait, how do you get yeah. 10 power on the board without an Emrakul already? In Just play? Nest, inva- Nest Invaders, dude. Knight of Reliquary. <laughs> Knight of Reliquary. Yeah. Primeval Titan. <laughs> If you have 10 power on the board, we would hope you could win without having to sneak an Emrakul into play. 
Yeah, I mean, but hey, now you have an Emrakul. And the cool thing about the Hideaway Lands is you actually cast the card. So you do get Emrakul's take an extra turn trigger in the whole nine mm-hmm. yards. So you're not just playing that card, you're actually casting it, which re- uh, is required to get the full benefit of Emrakul. Interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's... I've seen that deck list before. It is kind of like very fringe, but I mean, hey, you did well with it. Yeah, impressive. And then, and then my favorite deck, Little Kid Junk, because uh, that's kind of like where I live. Uh, playing creatures, turning them sideways. It's all good. <laughs> so I guess I'll handle standard. So Ross Miriam takes it down with Bant Heroic. Um, there were some really, you know, big names here. Uh, Kyle ba- uh, Bogamus. Gerard Fabiano, so it was a really good top eight, I think, and I guess the boogeyman, Esper Dragon and Troll, while there were two in there, it can be beat, so it doesn't really dominate the format, and I thought it was really a really good top eight. Another collected company deck showed up, uh, piloted by Connor Bowman, going junk collected company, and... uh Playing some interesting cards like Herald of Torment, Grim Horror Specs, Warden of the First Tree. I mean, that all seems great with uh, Collected Company. A lot of Dramoka's Command. So I guess we were right on that one, right, uh, Seth? Dramoka's Command is an insane card. I yeah. We were definitely right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to talk about Ojutai. <sighs> <laughs> So how many oh, copies man. did you buy for uh, $5, Chaz? A dinosaur egg. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Zero. Zilch. Well, at least, no Ojutai's at five. At least you didn't write an article saying it was worse than Prognostic Sphinx. You can yeah. uh, be proud about that. I don't know who would have wrote that article. Who did that? Uh, I, I don't know. I saw it somewhere. It definitely yeah. wasn't me. Some other olive. <laughs> Some other olive. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, unsure Olive. But speaking of hits and misses, uh, are we going to talk about Crucible of the Spirit Dragons? You know what? (laughs) I was going to save it until after we uh, talked about Star City Games, so yes, we are going to talk about Crucible of the Spirit Dragon. (laughs) Excellent. Oh my god. (laughs) I I just don't believe it, man. (laughs) So, so, enlighten us, Seth. What's going on with Crucible of the Spirit Dragon? So, um, I'm sure you all know by now, I have a ton of Crucible of Spirit Dragons that are clogging up my room, and Michael Flores decided to help me out this weekend and build a mono-blue five-color dragon deck, if uh, that makes any sense, and he won his way back onto the Pro Tour at a RPTQ, playing every Dragon Lord except Colgan and a whole bunch of blue spells, along with Crucible of the Spirit Dragons and Haven of the Spirit Dragons. I just, I have no idea what's going on. It looks really, really sweet. It (laughs) it does look sweet. uh, This is a deck I want to play. It it looks like it doesn't work, it doesn't make any sense, but at the same time, it can work, right? I can see how it gets fit together, and I really want to play five-color dragons. (laughs) Oh, man. You lucked out, Seth. I I know. I mean... Uh, it's, it's great when you obviously do something stupid and it still pays off for you. <laughs> or was it stupid in the in the first place? Maybe oh. I'm smarter than I realize. I'm just a, yeah. a savant. Yeah. Like Vince. No, but 
<laughs> the deck it does look very cool. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, so props, and I guess you know, good luck with Crucible. I'm sure people will start trending when uh, they can play all sorts of dragons in a mono blue deck. <laughs> but like, let me ask you this: So does this open up like deck building opportunities? Could we see like mono black five color dragons, mono green five color dragons? Is or is this like maybe just specific to just mono blue. I really don't know. I mean, I think what this shows me is with the eight dragon lands that can tap for any color, um, you can do a lot of things. Like, you can play pretty much any dragons you want uh, with just those eight lands. So I don't think it's out of the question that we have another monocolored, five-color deck come up. Yeah, what do you think, uh, Richard? I mean, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Like, this deck doesn't make any sense to me, right? Because you have... He has Master Ways in the sideboard, right? Which means you want blue symbols on cards. But at the same time, you're running eight cards that don't produce blue symbols unless they're dragons in your dragon lands. So, apparently you can do whatever you want with your mana base, and this will work out, right? Like, you can do mono whatever color you want, because they're all temples and fetch lands. Right, so if you wanted a heavily black dragon deck, you could totally do it if the black cards are what you wanted, right? So right. we live in a pretty good time now with fetch lands, temples, and the eight dragon lands for you to play five color dragons. So yeah, I, I think and you the, can do the it. main yeah, the main uh, kind of pitch, I mean, of this deck, I mean, I kept seeing this, and I think I'm pretty sure you saw you saw it too, uh, Seth. I guess it does really good against Esper Control, and that's kind of like the boogeyman of the the format right now. Yeah, apparently Flores called up uh, Jerry T the Friday before the tournament and said, I have this deck. It beats Esper Dragons every time. I'm going back to the Pro Tour. <laughs> that was his message to Jerry T Friday morning. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it worked out. I mean, he flew all the way to Utah. I mean, but hey, man, props to Michael Flores. It's It was a really sweet deck. I mean, I don't know what, what Utah is all about, but uh, yeah. I mean, it did well, so there you go. And I actually like this pile of deck because it has a lot of one-ofs. It's actually one of those decks that you can actually build by just, like, opening cards from draft, right? Like, you'll have, like, one <laughs> Dragon Lord Silvgar <laughs> sitting around. You'll have one Dragon Lord Atarka sitting around. You're like, yeah, all right, just build this deck, right? You don't need to go get new cards. You can just use all your random cards sitting around. Yeah. Um, so I guess that kind of covers our coverage of, you know, what happened uh, over the past week since last cast. So do we want to do trending, Seth? Do you want to just, why don't you roll through the weeklies for us? All right, weekly change for standard. We have Dragonlord Ojitai again up a huge 24%. Wooded Foothills, Deathmiss Raptor, Dragonlord Dramoka, which was part of that dragon deck. Temple of Enlightenment, Dragonlord Slumgar. Eidolon of the Great Revels, Dragonlord Colgan, Haven of the Spirit Dragon, and Polluted Delta. So a lot of cards that were actually in that uh, five-color dragons list are showing up in the big winners this week. Uh, as far as the losers, Narset is predictably decreasing. Uh, Dragonlord Atarka is down from its Pro Tour peak. Ashiok, uh, Sarkin the Unbroken, Monastery Mentor, Brimaz, Perilous Vault, Soren Solemn Visitor, Shaman of the Great Hunt, and Goblin Rabblemaster. Yep, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of those cards showed up in that mono blue deck, so that kind of makes sense. Death Miss Raptor, you know, one of the better cards in Dragons of Tarkir. Um, it seems like every Dragon Lord is just starting to go up, because why the hell not, right? I mean, 
Seems like every Dragon Lord got really, uh, I wouldn't say undervalued, but misevaluated. I guess, like, every Dragon Lord's pretty good, right? Well, I mean, the funny thing is, I think, for me, there's been so many dragons printed over Magic's history, and, like, 98% of them are crappy casual cards. <laughs> so when I see these dragons, my mind automatically just says, oh, that must be a crappy casual card. But we were wrong. These cards are everywhere on the tournament tables. Yeah, and Dramoka's really, you know, finding its its footing because I mean, that's basically a Baneslayer Angel, right? A Baneslayer Angel that shuts down Esper because they can't counter your spells and they can't do anything on your turn. It's kind of like half Baneslayer Angel, um, half Cavern of Souls almost. Yeah. Um, so what about the modern side? So we got the weekly change. We got Blood Moons. Uh, Crucible of Worlds, Bitter Blossom, Summoner's Pack, Cavern of Souls, Sword of Feast and Famine, another copy, so all the copy of Blood Moons, we'll just, we'll just say that. Uh, <laughs> Inkmoth Nexus, Ulamog, and then the top losers, Goif, Goif, Vendillion Click, Confidant, Noble Hierarch, Cryptic Command, <laughs> Scalding Tarn, Dark Confidant, Crucible, and Cryptic. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically, cards that people don't think will be reprinted versus cards that are going to be reprinted or people think will be reprinted. Yeah, basically all the cards, quote-unquote, unconfirmed on that list. Goyf, Vendillion Click, well, Vendillion Click was confirmed. Confidant, Hierarch, Cryptic Commands. Yeah, a lot of people are putting their faith in the unconfirmed unconfirmed rumors. So it it would be quite interesting if that was actually just all false. Yeah, that would be very interesting. Yeah. So what about Blood Moon, Seth? I mean, I'm seeing, like, every single printing of this start to really take off. Well, I think people are starting to realize that it's not that likely to be reprinted in Modern Masters 2015. Like, it it does nothing in Limited, and it was just reprinted last time around, and the card is insane in both Modern and in Standard. So I think people are just realizing that there's probably not going to be more Blood Moons coming around uh, anytime soon um, because it doesn't really seem like something that would show up in a standard legal set. Yeah. Uh, I think you meant Legacy and Modern, not Le- Standard. I did, modern. yeah. My my brain was working <laughs> faster than my tongue. Legacy and Modern. Hey, yeah. Blood Moon was shut down. Mono Blue Dragons, my friends. <laughs> yeah, that, that would, would be, be insane really in Standard. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, Ink Moth Nexus is a little weird. Yeah, I expect. I would that think one. that's pretty much a lock. Yeah, that's what I think. In fact, has to be one of the archetypes, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it was the first time around when it was, you know, limited in its own block. Yeah, so I mean, I would, I would assume that all the infect cards will show up in there, at least all the important ones, which I think might mean that Skitherix, uh, the Blight Dragon. Am I saying? Do am I remembering uh, that? Yeah, Skitherix. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that could be one of the missing mythics, or maybe even get downgraded to rare. Interesting. Yeah, you make a good point. It could. I mean, I could see it as a rare. Yeah, I mean, we're living in a world of dragons, and uh, I don't think Skitherix matches up to most of the ones in Standard currently, so I think it'd be fine and rare in a modern-only set. Yeah, I mean, in terms of limited, though, I don't know, maybe rare is too much, but I mean, it's not that dominant. I guess the big thing is it hits for, like, eight because of in fact like it takes so much of your life total away each hit that it's yeah that part's a little scary 
and it can get haste, I believe. So it's it's actually a pretty scary card in limited. Yeah, that card. I re- oh man, did you guys ever draft Scars Block? The nut I, deck in Scars Block is by far the most dominant deck you'll play. Yeah, it was really absurd. Yeah. <laughs> And I remember drafting a lot of, uh, what was that card? It was a red card. It was like, uh, it, it dealt like three damage to an infect creep. Uh, Volt. If they had infect. Volt charge or something? Or burn the impure. Pure, yeah, there we go. Burn the impure. Yeah, I remember drafting those a lot. Uh, basically, I don't really think anyone ever played red. The, <laughs> the limited format was hilarious because everyone knew infect was by far the best deck if you were, like, one of two Infect drafters. But if, like, three or four players all jumped into Infect, there would be a whole bunch of horrible Infect decks that were, like, half Infect, half normal damage, and, like, Metalcraft or something could, would just clean up the pod. It was such an imbalanced format. Yeah, you were kind of... There was definitely some awkward stares, like, when you played uh, some Infect and non-Infect cards. Uh, yeah, it was pretty brutal if people were all drafting Infect. Which is probably why I got, like, five Burn the Impures, like, one draft. But I'm really terrible at drafts, so, I mean, it never really worked out. I'm excited for Infect this time, because I think, <laughs> I think the more power in the set, like, Modern Masters is going to be way more powerful and balanced, so I think Infect might just be a good deck instead of something that warps the format. So I'm really excited to try it again, if it is in the set. Yeah, well, like Richard said, I mean, like, they're all, like, every card in this set is like super value so i mean like infect isn't as dominant because there's probably really there's like tons of other viable archetypes in there too how are we going to cast eldrazi in limited richard you got any ideas what they're going to do you can't have every eldrazi and no way to ever hit the battlefield right i don't know man <laughs> moss <Mossworth> bridge <laughs> it's gonna be ramp Solemn. yeah solemn solemn's coming back i don't know <laughs> nest invader <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. You make a really good point. I mean, like, seven is kind of okay for, like, a card like All is Dust or Karn. I mean, like, when you start hitting, like, 10, 11, 15 for the big guys. 15 is, like, every land in your friggin' deck. Like, you literally have yeah. to play your entire deck to get 15 lands into play. Yeah, plus a Noble Hierarch, just in case <laughs> you don't draw one. I'm wondering about, like, Through the Breach or something, though. That would be Ooh. a kind of tricky way. Yeah, interesting. Gorio's Vengeance. But that's such a blowout. Like, nothing, I've learned that in Cube. Like, nothing is worse than thinking, oh, everything's going good, I'm winning, and then, boom, Through the Breach into Emrakul, and your whole board is gone, and you just scoop. I don't know if yeah. they want those bad beats to be part of uh, the big GP weekend. I mean, I guess that's why Emrakul's Mythic, right? A through the Breach could be a Mythic, actually. Is that eligible? So? Is that even modern legal? It it is. Is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, wow. yeah. I don't uh, mythic. Uh, I mean, I think they'll just leave it at rare. That's I don't, a, I don't a really unique effect. I mean, how how many times are you going to get through the breach and Emrakul? I mean, I don't know. Well, maybe. But isn't Emrakul the kind of card if you're in a competitive draft that like six out of the eight players are going to pass around the table because it's a dead card? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're going, I mean, if you're looking for it, I mean, I guess maybe, but I mean, you still have to open the, yeah. the breach. No, uh, that's, that's true. You have to really be gunning for it. I don't know. And then I guess you're like, really, like, how many times are you going to through the breach a miracle in a game? Uh, probably. Only I know, there's a lot of variables. Your, your opponent will scoop once you do it one time. <laughs> <laughs> so one is so. the number. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. It's like Bonfire of the Damned, right? Like, <laughs> when <laughs> yeah. I draw it, I win. <laughs> when I don't, it's like, I so don't. it's one of those cards, right? So they, they have made those cards in the past, so I, I don't, 
think this is unreasonable. And those cards yeah. lead to great moments, like the mustachioed LSB sitting next to Kibler when the bonfire comes off the top at, um, at the World Cup. That's like one of the iconic magic images of the past five years. Yeah, because that was, it was so bad. Right? You, <laughs> just I've been dominating you for like 25 minutes, but you peeled <laughs> one card and just beat me in one instant. You know? yeah, like, yeah, I don't know that that makes for good magic, though. Yeah, I mean, I saw that live. It was... <laughs> It was really awful. The, the, look, the look on, on his face, face was like, oh. oh, my God. <laughs> so good. It was perfect. And then, I, like, if you could get a screen just cap of that, that'd be perfect, man. And plus, I mean, it's all the more funny because you have, like, a cop-looking mustache LSV sitting behind him, and he looks over, <laughs> he looks over at LSV. Oh, it's so like, good. Yeah, it's like, sorry, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm as patriotic as the next guy, but I was kind of glad that happened just because the moment it created was so great. Even though USA lost, it was it was a great moment in Magic. Oh, yeah. The dude flipped it and, like, freaked out. Yeah, it was so good. <laughs> I mean, I would have too, but. Um, so, does that cover everything? We did Trending. We did Modern Masters. We did uh, Star City. We did Crucible. Path to Exile. Oh, yeah. We did get, yes, we did get a Path to Exile. I think it's like it's 10,000 three-print, right? Something no, I think like it's that. Only eight. I think it's like eight or nine. Hey, I'm actually very excited for it because how many times do you want FNM just to get like some crappy card that you'll never use for your promo, right? Yeah. It feels really good being able to win a card and actually put it into your deck. Yeah, it does. So yeah. I'm all for having playables. Um, Are you hitting those Friday Night Magics for this one? I haven't played FNM for like so long, so I don't know. It actually would get me interested in playing an FNM, right? If I knew I could actually win something, right? Because otherwise, why would I not just play Edmodo or, you know, whatever, right? Like, what is the point right. of going right. to FNM? Um, you know, I mean, I guess having fun, right? But you can play you know, Magic at other, other venues, people. right? You can play at a PTQ, <laughs> you can do whatever, right? Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, having a promo is cool, right? Having a playable, powerful promo is better. So I'm all for good modern playables or even standard playables. We haven't had a, a playable promo in quite a while. Yeah. I really like the art on this one, too. It's really good. So, yeah. uh, oh, <laughs> we have a doubter. I'm, there. The, I'm the art. We have a skeptic. <laughs> Soccer all right. the the art... The art, yeah, art. yeah, the art snob. I think I'm. Gonna, I, hmm, I mean, nothing the original is way better. No, I'm going to stop writing about finance and just critique Magic card art. <laughs> I actually think that's becoming actually very important, like even from a finance perspective, right? When you get a reprint, what does the art look like? I think that is a big deal. I mean, I was thinking about that with the fetch lands that are probably going to be in battle for Zendikar. Like, I think. The prices of everything depends a lot on who they have draw them and how they look. Yeah, that one is the best. Which version. one? Which which set is that? The WPN promo. Oh, the original promo. The original promo is pretty sweet. Yeah, that's, Rebecca Gray nailed it. That's a it consensus I've heard on Twitter. Is uh, we're uh, we're excited about the promo, but we're keeping our original promos because oh, those yeah. are the so, best ones. Oh yeah, they, yeah for sure. I have four of those. I got those. I. I got one from the Magic Fire Rewards, traded for the other ones when they were still kind of fresh, and people were like, oh, well. Like, Wait, did you like, actually oh, get one from, sure. like, Wizards? No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they mailed it. Oh, yeah. wow. I got the, I got the uh, Textless Cryptic, too. And then they sent me the, 
the email like, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. And I was like, oh, well, that sucks. They should bring it back. They should they should make Magic like a cool club. Now it's just like a game, right? I don't feel like I'm really yeah. I don't the know a community or something, but like you know, if they sent me a card. I mean, oh yeah, sweet, you know, like yeah. I mean, they used to send you like a, a like a a good one, like the Path to Exile, and then a couple other like common like a blightning or something like that, uh, textless. I mean, like, come on. Is that really, like, something to get rid of? Yeah, it should be, like, you know, because, like, they track your DCI. If you play in, like, yeah. 10, 10 plus events a year or something, they should just throw you a promo. Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, it was such a good program. I don't know why they got rid of it. I really, it, it really incentivized me to play, that's for sure. It was like, oh, promo Wrath of God, promo Damnation, promo Cryptic Command, I'm in. I don't know. Even the Path to Exile was good. So, yeah, they should bring it back. But I guess that's everything, right? Are you going to go get some promo Path to Exiles? Nah, you're on Moto, Seth. Yeah, I probably I haven't played FNM in a long time either. And it's like a 40-minute drive for me or something. So unlikely, yeah. but, but possible. The New York 40-minute drive to anywhere beats. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's awful. So I guess that does it. Oh, be on the lookout. Uh, Seth, you have uh, a deck, a couple videos get, get it, uh, about to get posted, right? Yeah, I think tonight. I'm very excited. Green-White Prowess. I've been playing this deck for a week and a half now. I got like five videos of different matchups going up, and I've just had so much fun playing this deck. You should definitely check them out. Yeah. Start stockpiling. Yeah, I actually... <laughs> because <laughs> I tweeted the rares a couple days ago. Just to give everyone fair warning, because I didn't want to be accused of uh, spiking prices. Yeah. So, do you, do you think? I don't. I don't think the prices will spike for standards. Uh, probably not. And I, I think Restore Balance is like a, a special card because it's like this weird old obscure card that's yeah. powerful that can be played but not actually played. So hopefully it's a, a one-off financial phenomena. <laughs> I really yeah. don't like it when we produce content and it like messes with the market because people always call into question our integrity. Whereas like you know it was just a cool deck, right? Like right. we had no yeah. idea how it's going to react. But. Yeah, it was just a joke. But I mean, Seth, you're you're something else. And man. I don't. And a lot of these <laughs> cards are a little too expensive, I think, to have a huge spike. Like Monastery Mentor, Ojitai's Exemplars, like. When you have a restore balance that's zero cents and goes to a dollar, it looks like a huge spike. But if uh, Ojitai Exemplars goes up a dollar, it's really nothing. So, Yeah, and I, I doubt like anything will happen, so don't worry, man. <laughs> the, 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 the decks are awesome, so uh, it would just be madness if something happens. Yeah, but definitely watch them. It was really fun, and there's some insane kills on the video. Like, just some insane stuff happens. The deck is, it plays out a little bit like a heroic deck, but it's not horrible and making me miserable whenever I play it, so um, you should definitely check it out. Wait, are you playing Dramoka's Command? I am. All right. That Two Dramoka's Commands. There you go. <laughs> and next deck, it'll be Mono Blue Dragons, because you're really going to try to pump Crucible of the Spirit Dragon as hard as you can. <laughs> I, I got to get my money out of those somehow. Yeah. Well, you could always burn copies. Yeah, I, I might hire people to buy and burn Crucibles. <laughs> rough all right uh, so i guess that does it for this episode um thanks for joining us and um yeah that, that about does it right yeah yep send your all questions right. to fishmail if you guys want anything answered yep uh hashtag mtg fishmail we'll get them answered and uh that about does it for this time so this is the crew signing out see you next time